0: I am excited to introduce our guest today for today. Paul Stork comes from Bitcoin, comes to Bitcoin from academia, having formerly worked as a statistician programmer in the Yale economics department in 2013-2014. Paul wrote Truthcoin a blockchain system for learning the truth about real world events. Paul did this as a response to the closing of a prediction market website in trade in 2012 and the failure of Bitcoin-related alternatives I like to call shitcoins. Paul's writing can be found at bitcoinhivemind.com, as well as truthcoin.info. Some of his blog posts, which I recently discovered, which led to why I wanted to have this conversation, are nothing is cheaper than proof of work and measuring decentralization, as well as a couple of other blog posts that are way ahead of their time, including drivetame Drive chain and blind merge mining. Paul, welcome to the show. I said a lot of things about you. What did I miss and what did I not give enough justice to? Oh
1: my gosh, I hope everyone can hear me. That was a really great intro, I have to say. Normally they're not very good, but that one was very good. Yeah, I was very interested in prediction markets and I was ahead of a lot of things like in the scaling war. There was this issue of the block size increase would make bitcoin less decentralized and i was like we have to be able to measure what that is if the conversation is going to make any sense and uh, that insight actually led to drive chain and drive chain has been neglected this whole time but people are slowly coming around to how important it's going to be but nothing is cheaper than proof of work that one really paid dividends because Who would have thought that seven, eight years later, we'd still be talking about proof of work versus proof of stake. I don't know why, but we still are. And the the article is still very relevant. There's there's a couple of things in it that I think I would take back. Oh, interesting. But overall, the whole thing is actually very solid because the core part of the argument is that the wasted resources do not come from, they don't come from the fact that it's proof of work. They come from the fact that the block is worth something. So- the block is worth $10,000, people will pay, they'll bid up $10,000 fighting over who gets it. And that is what causes the waste. And there's nothing you can do about that. It's unavoidable. So you can't make proof of work cheaper by switching it to something else.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm super excited to talk to you today. I, I'm i also, you you. I get to cross off my bingo card. I was like, how long before Paul mentions drive chains? And you did it within the first 60 seconds. So got that one checked off. I think... But all I'll joking aside, I think that it is, the Bitcoin space moves so rapidly, it's pretty amazing that this article from 2015, as you said, is is in almost completely still relevant to this day. And it's just such a, I, I feel like it is such a an eloquent sort of treatise. You go through, you define all the terms, and it's organized very effectively in a way that I think most of the articles that are even coming out today still don't do. So I'm really excited to go into it today, and I, I commend you for, for writing so clearly and eloquently on the topic.
1: Oh, so like when you look back and you're writing from a few years ago, you're always like, oh no, because everyone improves as a writer throughout their whole life. But I'm glad that people still like that one. I, had, I, wrote an, I wrote one long with Proof of Work before, so that was the sequel, and that one was the... The origin of the metaphor of auctioning off a briefcase, and that was also where I—no one had heard of me before. Adam Back linked to that article, so I owe everything. He has one BitcoinTalk.org posts linking to that. He quoted that part, and then no one had heard of me before. Oh
2: that. man, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that, that first one—that was kind of the, the 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 article that got you on the map.
1: I start. What's funny? That one was from twenty fourteen. And then i was like people are still talking about proof of stake because there had been a lot of problems proof of stake is very old and in 2010 it was considered for bitcoin and bitcoin talked to that bar. and then it was rejected because of the cost of simulation and uh, plenty of people demonstrated that the proof of stake would regress to proof of work in some way or another by i just people just simulating the blockchain i can talk about this if you're interested
0: but- please Paul, I, I need you to understand that like, I am such a noob in this space. And when I was reading, the first one I started actually reading was Nothing is Cheaper Than Proof of Work. And I, halfway through, I thought this was written like a month ago. And it, and like.
1: Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. People lead to it a lot. It goes, it makes the round. Every, like, you know, I can, I used to, I don't do this anymore because I don't, I don't quite care as much, but I used to have the Google Analytics going and then I would like be lulling and then it would just at one point someone, because you have all these other chains making proof of stake constantly a big issue
0: in the news. So, But no, let so, would love to dive down yeah. these rabbit holes with you. I mean, for whatever reason, we continue to see this discussion had, and I'd just love to start there because you you kind of alluded, alluded to it just now of there's always a new coin coming up that's trying to perpetuate proof of stake. And then we have to, again, counter this argument. like. There's a discussion we sometimes have of like shit coins and all these bullshit projects that happen outside of Bitcoin, they're never going to stop. And rather than trying to get them to stop, we just need to like focus on our stuff. Do you buy into that idea or do you think there could eventually finally be like a nail in the coffin of shit coins and proof of stake and other stupid ideas?
1: That's a very good question. I think it depends. It's a terrible answer, but I'm gonna say it depends. I think the, the if we had every if we had all of our stuff together in the Bitcoin world perfectly and everyone knew exactly uh, what to do to make like hyper Bitcoinization happen and make Bitcoin take over every other currency in the world and every other use case in the world, if we had all that stuff together, then no one would people would not be as interested in altcoins or they wouldn't be able to sell them. So it's because that we don't have our stuff together that. We that the door is still open. And it's because it's just a combination of education and communication, but also the constantly changing technology means that people always think that it's possible to do better. And I actually think that the, the competition is actually good because we haven't quite worked everything out, even in Bitcoin. And we should do that as quickly as possible. And actually it's desirable for, for mankind that, you know, you don't wanna have like just a tyranny of one idea. Uh, we want to have other ideas. I have to say, we're in general, I'm very disappointed because all the altcoin ideas are actually terrible competitors, so they are not very good at all. They they don't actually they don't actually stimulate fear uh in, in Bitcoin world or a kind of a desire to push the envelope. We're very complacent in Bitcoin. A lot of people just assume that Bitcoin will take over no matter what happens. And that is something that I don't agree with. I think we could still make a mistake and and not. Even and below our gigantic yeah. lead. Yeah, we do can't you, get complacent.
0: So, do you think? Do you think that altcoins or shitcoins are the biggest competitor to Bitcoin, or is there something else in your mind that is the biggest threat to Bitcoin?
1: Well, they're not very good. I think they. I think the, the in abstract, the concept of an altcoin is the, is would be a competitor. So someone would eventually invent something that would be very Bitcoin-like. It would have keys. It would have blocks. Uh, I would probably approve of work, you know, I mean, one of my articles that proof of work and proof of stake are really not different. So there's no there was no reason to for Ethereum to spend all this time, millions of dollars, et cetera, researching proof of stake, because you would not actually be able to make anything. They would not actually be able to make something that was profoundly d- different. But uh, a lot of people don't believe that. So they still do. But there's still no problem, no real problem with the logic mm. of it. Uh, I can go through that article if you want. I imagine that's why that's why you invited me on. According, to, if that's what you said. So I can talk about that if you like. But there's no altcoin today that is doing a very good job of competing with Bitcoin on its own terms of being like conservative and reliable and being there for you in the long term when it's under attack by like the armies of the world and all this other stuff. Attack under attack by even the media and academia and stuff like that so bitcoin is very very tamper resistant it's very reliable and other things don't they push down the in a completely different direction so they're very bad but someone could decide to compete on our terms and say this it feels is- like it
2: feels like what's happening is people are are aware that it's not it's very difficult if not impossible to compete on a level playing field in terms of the actual value prop of bitcoin and so what we're seeing is this narrative attack you know the the leveraging this kind of esg idea and trying to convince people that bitcoin is bad for the environment and it's it's so frustrating for me personally because the arguments that are made and that are just repeated constantly are so spurious that they just have almost no or no anchor in reality
1: Not good at all. This has happened also, like, for as long as I can remember, this has happened. There have been ignorant points about mining that people don't, they don't care to fact check. Even rigorous people, there was that, I don't know, the paper was very rigorous, but it wasn't right about the selfish mining, like, there was stuff where they didn't, like, follow the conclusion the whole way. That was, like, 2013 or something said Bitcoin was broken and everyone should sell them bitcoins. And people said stuff that a certain mining pool had more than 50%. Or the, so the, the stuff about mining has always been wrong. I think it's because mining is so easy to measure and so noticeable. But I don't know. This is, these would just be me guessing about why it's so bad. But I think the ESG thing is its own phenomenon. And we're actually just innocent bystanders, believe it or not. I think it has really nothing to do with us. It's just virtue signaling from ESG people. And they just can't wrap their head around the idea that you'd have people paying, that you have these servers that, that, that appear to be doing nothing, in quotes. Although, of course, they're not doing nothing at all because if they were really doing nothing, then no one would pay anything for the energy. So they should stop and think like, what would that mean if I said they were doing nothing? But of course, of course they're doing something important. And what they're doing is building cooperation and trust among people who, have, who don't know each other. So that's, we have to do a lot of work for that. In the real human world, we have to we have to worry about people who are uh, loafers, right? People who join the group but don't contribute, people are parasites, or people who are exploitative. So in the real world, we do this cooperation in a completely different way. You have people meet, we have people gossip behind the scenes. Hey, that guy, he wasn't doing his fair. We said we were going to gather firewood, but he was just... You know, or or he would eat shoe leather, would-
0: live on Bitcoin Magazine live.
1: Yeah, <laughs> well, so like you kick people out who are who aren't doing, or people who become tyrannical. You people used you know in the ancient days, hundreds of thousands of years ago, they would team up on that person and and like throw rocks, stone them to death, or kill them in their sleep, or something. Those That's are very specific wanted, examples. But I'm just saying yeah. we have. Like, <laughs> Have like uh, we have is- the point is we've always lived in groups and we've always had very very complicated ways of cooperating and Bitcoin is just a different way of cooperating and people just don't think they just it they, it takes it's bad optics they take very easy aim at this server room full of computers making a lot of noise and they just think all oh, this is wasted electricity. I mean, I- hence the big thing is maybe we can get away from wasting that. But then, hence my argument that it's not it's not the type of consensus that is the source of the waste it is the fact that each block is worth a certain amount of money and so people are going to fight over it you either just give someone some kind of license where they make the blocks but there's no way that's inescapably centralized cuz who is such a person and that person would have like a kind of permanent advantage permanent status as a a, a super peer they'd be above yeah. everyone so otherwise, everyone's just going to fight over this thing. And the proof of stake, people have tried for years to play whack-a-mole with these various issues, and they tried really, really, really hard to minimize them and convince everyone that they shouldn't fight over the block. It's possible that one day they will succeed, but it's just there's no real reason to expect that. They're pouring all this money into it, and I think it's just for the ESG. Uh, uh, they don't... Back in the, when I wrote that article, the comments were sort of glitched out, but I still have them. I linked to them on Twitter. And you can see in the article, there's plenty of people like Vlad Zamfir, uh, Jay Kwan, or whatever, all the people who are working on Proof of Stake at the time. In the comments section, they all agreed with me that there would be nothing that anyone could do to change what's the equivalent of the difficulty in the Proof of Stake world or what's the equivalent of now the security budget or the block subsidy or the block reward. All this money coming—I don't know if this is making any sense to any of the poor so people I wanna, in the audience, uh, That's
2: a great point. I want to take a step back.
1: There's just no, there's no real difference between proof of work and proof of stake. They, they're going to try; they can try it really hard, but at the end of the day, the block is worth like a million dollars. Like, let's say, let's say all the blocks for a certain year—all of them, just the revenue side—is worth ten, $10 billion dollars total. So this is if you if you won every block for a whole year. It's like a thousand blocks a week. So there's like whatever, fifty-two thousand blocks, it's tons of blocks. You win them all. And you win all the fees and all the new coins. And let's just say that's $10, $10 billion a year. That's $10 billion a year that's up for grabs. So right now we find out in the proof of work world, you find over in a very civilized and transparent way where you hash and everyone can see. Where the difficulty is and difficulty resets people can make partial blocks to win their shares and mining pools things like that it's it's very simple there's just a one shot to 56d thing that you just do over and over and over again in the proof of stake world you'd want to do all kinds of other things to try and win 10 billion if you succeed if it's project of kicking everyone else off you just wrote yourself a check for 10 billion dollars so that's the point is there's 10 billion dollar carrot at the end of a, a stick, like at the end of a, a fishing line or something. And you can see like, that that's the problem. That The problem is not proof of work, proof of stake. The problem is that it, it's 10, there's $10 billion. And how do you get apps. it? And so of course they're going to try whatever they can do. They're going to deny a service attack. Now, what I did was in the post, I made this very, I tried to make this, this argument that was very, very kind of economically theoretical, which has caused controversy I think to only continue because of how academic and abstract it was where I said that locking up the money would mean that fewer other investments would be in the proof of even if you got everything in proof of stake to work and there was no denial of service attacking and there was no nothing anyone could do to get an edge and stake the 10 billion dollars yeah I I want to pull back for one second
2: and I want to I want to sort of define some of the terms so when we talk about can you start by defining at a high level, what we mean when we say proof of work versus proof of stake. Like, what is, how would you define proof of work and how would you define proof of stake just for the audience?
1: It's funny because the point of my article is very, is very little. But, but, from yeah, science. from a, from so proof a. Of work is, is, the audience is you do this one type of computation over and over and over again. So your computer is working very, very hard. There's no other way to do it. It's just based on quantity. You just, how many times can you do this strategy 56? Just double V6 you yeah. hash. You're doing it really, really fast. And every two weeks the bottom performers are fired. So basically, since you're just doing a computation a lot, it comes down to the electricity you spend, the, the money you spend on hardware, physical chips, the money you pump in, the cooling to cool the chips. And it's basically like you're running your computer, you're making your computer work really hard. Like, you know, in the olden days, this still happens with a laptop. This doesn't happen so much anymore, but in the olden days, you would like be using your computer and it would just kind of make little sounds. But then if you fired up like a game, something that was intensive, the fan would go crazy and it would make start to make more noise because the computer is working really hard. So that's the work. The poor computer is working really, really hard instead of doing nothing or only working when you ask it to. It's going hundred percent, trying to just churn out as much of this as possible. In proof of stake, Well, the idea is in the reality of the crypto system, in the reality of their blockchain or in the reality of the coin, in that reality of the full node software, it knows somehow, which is part of the problem, this somehow, but it knows who has which coins and it also knows who stakes which coins. And these people put the coins into a, a sort of hazardous state, a hazardous box, they stake the coins. They say, I I put these, I buy in to, with a certain amount. And then they they join this, what would be the class of miners in their world. And they have coins, they have a certain amount of coins staked. And then there's a, a complicated like lottery system. There are many variants, but in general, it's kind of like the more money you stake, the more likely you are to be chosen. And when you're chosen, you have the ability to create the next block. And you create the reward because you get a shot of that $10 billion. Is that, yeah. I'm I mean, sure no, 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 it totally
2: makes sense. I think you, you made a good point though, which is like, what is actually going on behind the scenes in reality versus like the, 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 the narrative that is being pushed. And I think the narrative that's being pushed is that proof of work takes energy and proof of stake relies on, you know, whether you have staked these coins and how much you have and the kind of quintessential argument here is, as you said, is that they're actually kind of the same thing. The only difference is that in proof of work, all the work that is being done is kind of upfront and visible. And despite the claims of the proof of stake proponents, that work is still happening behind the scenes. And I I love the term you use. I think you call it obscured proof. You kind of say, it's not proof of stake. It's just obscured proof of work. That work still has to happen. It's still, it's still being, it's still required. It just, they're basically pushing it off, kind of off-chain into these hidden cost centers. Is that a fair characterization?
1: Well, yes. And the other thing is, we won't actually know, per se, like it's, it'll be so obscured that it's possible that no one will actually know what, the, what is being wasted. But there are plenty of things that you could expect, like you could expect the rewriting the blockchain from what's called the long-range, nothing-at-stake problem. So you could expect that which is where you just rewrite the blockchain from a really long time ago, but the proof of stake proponents try to defeat that with checkpointing. But, but I wanna stress, cause this is maybe a good way of seeing the difference between the two, which is the, what you would do in the proof of stake world is you would go back far enough and you would either rewrite the blockchain from day one or you would go back to like whatever it is, like two years ago or something and you'd rewrite it from then and you would make blocks You would have your computer crunching numbers just like in proof of work, and you would have them simulate whole histories as if years of time had passed. And the reason you can do this is because there is no proof of work in proof of mistakes. You can do many, you can do millions or billions of complete histories from the past. And this is the attack is to do this from very far along into the past. And you can do this such that you win all the block rewards and you know all the keys or that certain, you can put certain transactions in later or, or earlier, or you can even, what you can do in proof of stake worlds is you can go back and you can try to buy private keys from people who haven't used them anymore. They used to own, they used to own like maybe they owned some ether back in 2021, they no longer own it. So they don't care if anyone knows the private key because they sold a long time ago. So they'll sell it to you for like ten cents, and so they give you that key, and now you have that key in your arsenal. You could stake with it when you rewrite the chain. You can have, you know, your computer is going to be doing all this. So it requires an, an upfront investment of, of software to to do so You're talking hacks. about
2: like what well, you refer to as state grinding. <laughs> with that,
1: sorry, yes, state straight gr- stake grinding, just like every. All the conversions of proof of stake into proof of work would be like some kind of stake grinding, and so they're all involved. But that's but the point. The thing you want to stress is the proof of work. The proof of the when you attack proof of stake by using a supercomputer, and when it does as much computation, it's going to be doing as much computation. It's basically you have a nine billion dollar a year budget for computing when you attack proof of stake because you're trying to get the ten billion dollars of winning everything. You see what I mean? So you have $9 billion budget now to hire software developers, algorithms for things. And you're gonna be writing, you're not gonna rewrite the chain once, you're gonna write it like trillions of times. And you're going with to the final- You're gonna try everything to get that. The final definition of the attack is that you have many different versions, some of which could be very, very similar, other than that they're controlled by you, but they look like the real. And then what it comes down to is the Ethereum people just, they retreat as if it doesn't matter to saying, well, if that happens, we will get the state of the system from someone else. We'll get like, whatever. Someone will just tell us, Vitalik will just tell us what the most recent block hash is. But then you see, once you've spent the first two or $3 billion getting to that point, then you just spend the last billion dollars, whatever, just like doing the centralized version of the attack. You're just like, you know, I don't know, like kidnap everyone or bribe people or whatever it is. And so again, but now you see what's frustrating about this if you defend proof of work, is because these type of attacks, they won't like just happen overnight when they switch to proof of stake. They would like, they would be building up. You'd be building up the strategy and you'd say, well, don't even wanna bother. So that's part of the issue is it's not like you just do the attack as soon as they switch to proof of stake, because it's not like proof of stake is Completely, like I'm saying they're they're really just kind of like similar, and proof of work has the sort of anti fragile property of just like it's the next block is very unstable, but the whole blockchain is very stable, but with proof of stake, it's kind of like they're trying to disfun thing where each the next block is very stable, but huge breaks in the system are way easier so but but you can see that the the like i continue to stress the issue is that there's a 10 billion dollar a year budget for grabs and that is what is going to either cause it to waste as much resources as proof of work even though that may not be energy but it be waste ten billion dollars a year in equilibrium or it will just stop working more likely it's i mean this is the other thing is that the, the ethereum people have never cared as much about having the so-called, you know, the decentralized of your property and letting everyone cloud. So it's just, the, the other thing that there a nuance to this issue is that since they never cared quite as much about that, they flirt anyway. They just say, who cares? We're gonna flirt anyway with just having it be, you know, Vitalik.com, the, the blockchain or whatever. And so, So since they never really cared, then they can kind of play this game and they can say, look, we switched from proof of work to proof of stake, but really they never really used either. It was just kind of like the proof of work was only being used to uh, distribute the ether. It wasn't being used for security the way it was, the way it is in in Bitcoin. So again, that's a rambling confused uh, answer. No, I I,
0: I was going to bring up the story that you share actually about like the TV shows and that example. Cause I think that like really helps people visualize the very technical stuff that we were just talking about for probably the last like 10 minutes. Do you want to just quickly walk through?
1: I wrote it a long time ago. I also remember at Anarcopulco, I did a panel about this exact thing with Daniel Crawitz who said that it was the greatest, he was like debating me sort of, but he said this was the greatest the funniest thing like he'd ever read like that year
0: or something so he got the kick out of it he's totally crazy. i'm a former hollywood agent who want, read this and was like oh my fucking god this <laughs> makes perfect sense to me now hey guys this is q from bitcoin magazine live this podcast is brought to you by our sponsor bitmex bitmex is one of the biggest supporters of the bitcoin space in the last decade actively donating to developers and putting out some of the most cited research articles. What you might not know is that BitMEX recently launched a brand new spot exchange and mobile app that takes the experience of buying and holding to the next level. We know that, especially in uncertain market conditions, you need an exchange that is trustworthy and innovative. Sign up at bitmex.com today, check out the BitMEX blog for some great market insights, and stay tuned to our podcast for more from their team. Bitcoin Magazine and the team that brought you the world's largest Bitcoin conference is bringing the mission of hyper-Bitcoinization global with the inaugural European Gathering this fall. Bitcoin Amsterdam takes place October 12th through 14th at the beautiful Westergaas venue in the heart of the city. Join thousands of Bitcoiners for three days of curated Bitcoin content that is relevant to the emerging Bitcoin scene in Europe and the global movement. Confirmed speakers include Dr. Adam Back, Alex Gladstein, Greg Foss, Ray Youssef, and many, many more. This will be an immersive conference, which includes hands-on engagements at our Proof of Workshop stage, as well as exclusive content for VIP Whales in the Deep. Bitcoin Amsterdam's exclamation point will be a massive Bitcoin party and music festival that you won't want to miss. The European installment of Sound Money Fest takes place on day three of the event, October 14th, and admission is included with GA and Whale Passes. Check out all the details at b.tc forward slash conference and use promo code BMLIVE for 10% off. Ticket prices increase on August 21st, so grab your tickets today for €299 for a GA ticket and €3,499 for VIP whale passes. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com.
1: Yeah, in proof of work, you're you're an audience member watching the television show, and you tune in and you want you watch the next week's episode, which is like the next block or something. And the user, the the audience decides like which if there's different blocks, the audience decides which is the sort of the real block based on the quality of the show because you can tell like. How much money did the miner spend making the block? So if the show is getting good, if it has good special effects, like you can tell a movie made in the 90s versus a movie made in the 70s versus a movie made today or whatever. Maybe that's not a great example because movies today aren't very good. But, but you, you can tell that more quality, quality is going up, better acting, better special effects, you know, better writing. So this is the proof of work is the blocks have more effort. They put more effort in them. That's easy enough to understand. I think where the metaphor really helps people is the proof of stake world is a lot like the characters in the television show, they are talking about what, the show is very, very cheap to make. Every episode is made for like one cent. And the characters in the show say that They are talking about what the next episode will be, so they point the audience towards the next episode. So you can see it's very self-referential. It's what's happening inside the show, what's happening in the blockchain, in the proof-of-stake blockchain is determining the next block. And that's how you can see why someone with a a really nice computer can just create billions of versions of the show and then just dump them on people and they would not know what is canon, so to speak, whereas it's very easy in the proof-of-work world to figure out what's canon because everyone... The highest quality. it's like, you know, like Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. It's like, it's like really, really good. And then, you know, like it won't, the next block won't be found unless it's even better or comparable quality. It's very really hard to fake. This something that, you know, people would shoot on a little inexperienced people would shoot in the afternoon on like a handheld camcorder or something.
0: Also known as the Hobbit trilogy.
1: Yeah, I think uh, that's the, right, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, this, this example is frustrated by modern trend in movies towards being passionate, oh, but- not good at all, not not made with care or whatever, not made with with real with real effort. Uh, but they do take a lot of money, so that's unfortunate. That, that they
0: do. I also want to unpack. We talked a little bit about the hidden costs of a proof of stake method. I talk a lot about how the entire U.S. dollar system is backed by the energy used by our US military and the energy it essentially takes to run the most powerful military in the entire world.
1: There actually is an article that came out a while ago by a fake person from Super Smash Brothers, Mr. Game & Watch, but there's an appendix in the article that is about the proof of work of the US dollar that is, is very good. So there's a whole appendix about this. And I put it on my site. It was on. Uh, I think. It was, I think it was on Bitcoin Magazine at some point, but I don't remember. It was like years ago, like a long time ago, but I don't remember exactly what it was called. But you, there's not a lot of things that Mr. Cameron watched. So Wait, there. Do people doing stuff like that. So there's an appendix in that about. It's about exactly what you say about, and it talks about like cost. How much more money is spent on lobbying? There was like no money spent on lobbying before like the 70s. They like exploded into existence. So this is a lobbyist buying the printing press in Washington, D.C. All the, you know, like um, every kind of thing of that nature of just people spending money in the real world to try and get the distorting effects of the U.S. federal budget and the Fed. The Fed's bailouts, like the Nassim Taleb part, where Nassim Taleb, he was, back when he was super great after the financial crisis, he was saying, that everyone in the financial world knew, is that the worst thing in the world is to underperform by a couple percentage points. You always have to push the envelope. People are pushing the envelope. You always have to push further and you always have to outperform. And he said, if you blow up and lose everything, that doesn't matter. So he's talking about the incentives in the finance industry. And so you always want to Try You always want to lever up, basically, so that you always have the returns go really, really, really well. And then if you blow up and have a huge collapse, that's not a bad deal. Because he said everyone knew that you'd get bailed out because this happened all the time. And I saw that uh, I, I was at a lecture in person at, at, at M- MIT. I didn't go to MIT, but I was in the audience that had this thing after the financial crisis with Marty Feldstein. And he said, every time we have a problem with the banks, we recapitalize the banks, which is to say we just give them money. And it's a moral hazard, they call them moral hazard because they say they don't care now if they blow up. And they seem to let, according to him, is he telling them that you know to what extent is his comment accurate, no one knows for sure, but he said everyone knew and his explanation makes perfect sense. And it's, very, it's child's play to do if you understand anything about finance, You know, basic derivatives or something. You can say, well, anything will we'll pump the returns of this portfolio up instead of getting six percent a year, we can get seven percent a year with a one percent chance of getting like minus a hundred percent. And then they say, Well, listen, we can have like we can get eight percent a year with a one percent a chance chance of getting like negative two hundred percent or losing something else or like becoming massive, you know, owing twenty times what we, the entire market capitalization of the company or something. So it's child's play to just keep doing that. You can hit eight, nine, 10, 11, 12%. And that's what, that's what Nassim Taleb was saying. And that is in the appendix. I remember those two things, the lobbying, all of it. And if, I don't remember if he added it all up and tried to see if it was like the same number, but that would actually have been really cool. I don't remember, but there's a lot of stuff like just the politicians are all, the growth in entitlements is another thing is people used to spend a lot of money on like the Eisenhower interstate project, which is like building the highways the connect America or like the space race, like going to the building a rocket that goes to the moon, like some important things, you know, at the Erie canal, it's in the 1800s, but like the point is people, the tax money would be used for actual things, you Mm -hmm. know,
2: as opposed to bailing out banks and
1: system. And then it's used the health and human services or whatever. Like the military is like a third. And then there's like a more than a third is just like, basically like welfare checks or, or just checks that go to people for healthcare care or whatever it's just just we're just sending people cash so we don't actually spend it on like it's not actually spent on like a project you know what i mean like the Inter- continental railroad or something like something where you actually get something that would like plausibly benefit the whole it's just paying people off
2: yeah instead of investing in the future it's literally just perpetuating the existing system
1: that that's people should more people should do research on that issue. I and, mean, like, the, is, is everything proof of work? Is everything seniorage? Is everything just an in inflation tax? More people should look into that. That's a very interesting topic. This happened, this is well known. This happened like when gold was found in the Americas, there was just lots of inflation, and there's lots of people have written about that. That's all that stuff is interesting, too. The idea that more gold doesn't help. Now, this no. is ironically is linked to the thing that I would probably take back from my article.
2: Oh, go into that.
1: But I don't know if, if, if people are complete noobs. They wanna, but if this article went for many years. And one of the things I said was that even if all the problems with proof of stake were solved and there was no possible way that anyone could ever use any of their effort to have any advantage, and I think that's basically impossible. But I was writing, even if that were the case, you still have the case that you have to stake money. And what I said was something like, first of all, the money staked would be way more than the, what is burned in proof of work, because it would be like interest. So if, if, if proof of work burned $5 a year, hypothetically, this is the complete hypothetical, $5 a year was being spent on power, chips, whatever. Then in the proof of stake world, they'd have $100 staked, because it would be something like 5% interest rate would be like 5% interest. Would be. So everyone would want to stake because it's just so much easier to stake than to mine because you just like click a little button so because it's so easy more people would do it and that would be the equivalent of like the difficulty going up and up and up
2: Hmm.
1: it would would be chasing further away from it and what i said was this hundred dollars would not be it would not change anything like in the inflation deflation world because the money is not permanently destroyed so if you permanently destroy a hundred dollars then all the prices will Come down because people say, "Well, the money's gone." But if you only temporarily do it, then I would say people are going to wait. They know the hundred dollars will come back. Now I have to say on that particular point, this is now going to become like a super graduate level PhD econ stuff. <laughs> But when I wrote that, I now think that that is probably a question for like some new genius of the future to figure out exactly to what extent is that even, is that true? Because I don't think anyone knows. I tried very hard to actually figure it out. Is it the case that if you just lock $100 up for a year, does that do nothing? Or does that do something? It would appear that it would, it would appear that it would do something, but I'm not sure. And I, I tried with a piece of paper and I tried doing math and I had examples and I tried to work it out and I got like sort of halfway there and I got really confused. But <laughs> but I hate for anyone to get too confused before I finished what I was saying. Probably already lost cause, but the, what I was saying was people lock, they lock $100 up instead of five. So first of all, I'm saying this is 20 times times more money. Is being, all this money is being locked up because it's exactly because it's so much easier to stake than to actually buy Mining stuff and plug them in, and whatever. So all and again, stuff- we're talking
2: about proof of stake. When you say people it's locking safe. up a hundred dollars versus five, you're saying in a proof it's of stake an system.
1: Imagined, an imagined perfect world where proof of stake has solved all of its problems, mm-hmm. which I don't think will I don't think will exist. But uh, they but they spent anyway in defiance of my prediction. They spent eight years, like with huge teams of people working on them, and they then they did this merge. So they I guess they think that they finally plugged all the holes. Um, Do they
2: though? Do they think I don't I don't know that-
1: I don't know if I think so. I think maybe like various people get hired on, and they kind of realize like it's a lost cause, but they kind of uh, do what they can. They collect the paycheck, and then kind of like they're just like, whatever. Yeah. It doesn't matter because Ethereum is, doesn't emphasize decentralization anyway. So like it doesn't matter. I'll just make a lot of money, and I'll get a little career, and I'll be. A I think
2: thing. that's the thing. I mean, that's the key yeah. piece here.
1: So, but anyway, in this idealized perfect proof of stake world where everything's fixed, more money is staked. And I say it's still a cost because there's no deflation benefit to everyone because the money's not permanently destroyed asterisk, and then that money that would have, it's invent that money that is invested in the proof of stake project doesn't go out and fund some other project some other anything else building a bridge or something that the economy wants so it doesn't so it permanently alters the Oh, interesting. The world, there's still a cost. So the cost is not in the form of energy, but it is, in the, and it's not in the form of denial of service attack, and it's not in the form of bribes. Because remember, they fixed all the problems. Once they have a problem, then that's where the proof of work situation, once there's a problem, that's where the proof of work starts to leak out, and it becomes the stake grinding of just bribes, like we were saying with the US dollar or whatever. But I'm saying even if you plugged all the holes, you still have investment. And then you have foregone. You have the opportunity cost of foregone investment.
2: Oh, that's so interesting. This
1: is very again. This is like becomes like a bizarre like PhD level discussion. I think. Of no, this. no, no. But but it's like people have a certain amount of money that they keep on um, for payments, like in their wallet or in their checking account. And I think this is well known that this is a certain amount that depends on the person and their situation. So you only want a certain amount, neither too little or too more. So you only want like 200 bucks in your wallet and like maybe $10,000 in your checking account. I'm just making those numbers up. But once you have more, you say, well, now I've got $20,000 in my checking account. And you say, well, I want to put this $10,000 somewhere else. I want to put it, I in want to, put it to work. Right. So, so there's an optimal amount of cash that everyone holds. And uh, so what I'm saying is that's true. I'm saying that's, uh, that's most people think that's true. And I'm saying that's true in this world. So therefore, the money that came that was staked was well, not part of that amount because you want to have the money around in case you need some, to buy something. And so the money that was staked didn't come from that, it came from other investments. And the reason why I regret saying that is not because I don't think it's true, but because I think it really like sent the conversation in a bizarre direction and it made a lot of people write a lot of stuff about it. But Eric Wall wrote the only thing worth reading, I think after, after I wrote it, he wrote a thing where he kind of goes a little bit down there that road, but that's my—that was my one of the things I said in the post. I said even if you made it perfect, it would still be uh, there would still be a cost to the economy, and the cost would probably be a lot worse than just energy because, in my world, there's less in the proof of stake, perfect proof of stake thing. There's fewer investment projects being funded, and so ever, the future life of everyone is worse. And of course, many more people will live in the future than with today, hundreds of trillions of people. We we'll live in the future, God willing, that we don't kill ourselves this year or something. But and so all those people's lives would be worse. And isn't that why? What's you know what's a little bit of hydroelectric dam power compared to that? Like so that was what I wrote in the article. I tried to finish it off for good, but instead I think I made it too convoluted, but, uh, but the core thing to remember is that carrot at the end, the $10 billion carrot is that, and that is why people always fight over that. And I think not, no one has really like come up with any kind of way around that. The, except for Vitalik to try to say, and he said this in correspondence with me that I, I had a later post and I had an FAQ and I had all that stuff on my blog. And the later post is proof of stake is still pointless. Proof of stake is still pointless. It's the title. But he tried to say something like, even if the $10 is up for grabs, you can make it so that it's so difficult for anyone to affect the outcome that they just don't. And then it's kind of just like magic money is uh, falling from space. And so that was that was his uh, reply. But I'm just not that... But then, you know, he said that. And then they, they've they been saying proof of stake was three months around the corner. <laughs> Every time, they're super confident. And he said that that was like in 2016. So that was only yep. like a year later. And they were still like really, really confident and year after year after year, it was fine. And now they, they finally have switched over. Was that because it's just become so comp- complicated that uh, no one was it, uh, No one can follow what's going on? Is it because no one actually cares what's going on anymore? Is it because of something else? Is it because of, is it all just, uh, you know, or did they really pour an enormous amount of engineering into doing this thing? And I mean, it
2: seems pretty obvious.
1: Well, eventually people will find the, the the holes it's contents under pressure you know what i mean it's kind of like you have a balloon huge balloon like a giant balloon like one of those things that uh, yeah you
2: poked a bunch of holes in it and basically yeah, it's like as tall. long as you keep pumping air the the balloon will maintain its shape and and it,
1: for like kids you know like a huge huge thing that's a play for kids to play in and then it's like in proof of work it's very straightforward it's like there's the intake and then there's the outtake and it's just equilibrium but the proof of stake is like, oh, we can we can stop that from being an outtake. But then you see the balloon will just swell up and there there's more the more pressure, the more likely any tiny little hole people will find it. And then they'll take the 10 billion as soon as they find that one thing. Yeah. So I you know, I so I think most of the people who studied the proof of workforce proof of stake thing just kind of like completely lost interest by 2015, 2016, 2017. And they're just like, I don't wanna pay any attention to this anymore.
2: Yeah, because it's noise.
1: Because uh, it's very boring, even because it didn't really go anywhere. So that's an interesting, it's an intriguing thing that I think people have just stopped, including myself. Like I'm not really that interested. No one like you can see why I would not be interested in it because none of these <laughs> are the fundamental objectives. I loved and-
2: your I loved your tweet earlier today where you were like. Going to talk about this super interesting and relevant thing.
1: Once discussed. Yeah. But constantly for years, people will bring this up. They bring up the article. So I think it's a very interesting topic. As you can see, it's not so much that the article is often... People often bring up my article and they say proof of stake is a complete pile of garbage, which I kind of think it sort of is. But my article doesn't really say that. My article just says the thing about the balloon. That it's like, it's really the same thing. If you try to plug all the holes, you just get more pressure. And so... People will be looking for the holes because it's the problem. Is the ten billion dollars a year of revenue that? And when
2: get. you say the holes, it's like it's strategies that take advantage of that. And, and again, I, I just want to bring and it all they, the way back around.
1: And they say you cannot cost the simulate. Well, then they will say okay. Then I'll denial a service attack, my my rivals. And then they say okay. If you can't, if they magically fix denial of service attack, then you say something else like I'll buy old private keys or I'll do. You find you. And then if they say you can't do that, you're really- It
2: incentivizes those strategies. That's your point. And I I guess bringing it all the way back around, the reason I think that this article and and the multiple articles you've written about this are so effective and have really stood the test of time is because instead of arguing from a, instead of trying to say, you know, proof of stake bad, proof of work good, you're just- explaining the economics or attempting to explain the economics behind it which to me are it's, it's just so much more compelling you're literally just saying like the work has to happen and whether you see that work on the front end or in the front and it's visible and it's transparent or that work happens behind the scenes which then creates these dark corners that people can kind of take advantage of it incentivizes these these kind of bullshit strat or what I would consider to be bullshit strategies but maybe that's, that, even that's that's unfair I think moralizing it is, is not useful here it just the 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 work happens somewhere it, the only question is this in con- in contradiction to what proof of stake proponents would argue is the only difference between proof of work and proof of stake is that in proof of stake it's just obscured and i love that term that you use obscured proof of work it's not proof of stake it's just obscured proof of work
1: yeah, I think you're right, and I think you're also right that when I finally found the title, like I wrote the title last, I was like, "This is the perfect title." Nothing is cheaper than proof of work because I'm not even saying, like, I'm saying it's, I'm saying it's a tie basically, and that's really the point of the article is that as soon as you try to go cheaper, what you're saying is someone's getting free money for no reason. Exactly. And, uh, no to complain about that, and so. That was the perfect title and the moralizing of it does not, is, is not good because it leads people to think that you are like a brainwashed cult fanatic and that you're not thinking rationally. and people, because, the, because it's part of the, part of the problem is you had this stuff, you had this stuff pure coin or whatever, you had stuff that was proof of stake and it didn't just immediately burst into flames and, and stop. So you have to have some explanation of like, this, uh, this is also like vaguely possible but that's different than saying it's worth doing. It, it's not worth doing. It, I don't, I really don't see how it was worth. That. I don't see all the Ethereum's like R&D on proof of stake as being like a beneficial investment for no, it's- humanity. And I think what you, you really hit on it is, is that they, it's partially not genuine, I think. I think that even they don't actually care. And it's kind of like, a, it's a pretext. It's just saying, it's a product of differentiation. They say exactly Bitcoin is all these things. Ethereum is these other things. So that's where when the Dow hack happened in, I think, 2016. Uh, Bitcoin Magazine asked for a bunch of people for opinions, including me. And I was the only one who wrote the opinion of what they actually did. But everyone said they should not. They should respect code as law, blah, blah, blah. And I wrote, well... They, this is really. They got themselves into this stupid situation. But what I said was, Bitcoin would never rewrite this thing, and they are a competitor to Bitcoin. So, what they should do is they should just do the other thing because they have to, they want to be different, and that's smart. It was, and they, I think they've been doing that like literally since they, since twenty fifteen. They've just been saying, how can we be different? When they go up on stage and dance, you know, in costumes and stuff, like Jameson Lop with like a machine gun. <laughs> like it's like they know like they know that they're doing yeah it. i think and that's most of what this is i think so that's it's unfortunate that this this starts to take up people's technical people's times and the poor investor and the poor user start to research what is the difference between proof of work and proof of stake really it's it was a marketing bullet point i think maybe the whole time i don't know but it's probably going to Since it's been going on for so many years, I'm sure people will still be for some. It sounds crazy to me, but I'm sure people will still be talking about this years from now. I don't know why. You said
2: something interesting, or you mentioned something earlier, which is like you know this idea of the way that funds are currently allocated in our sort of traditional financial system, and sort of this idea of you know a lot of the, the the taxes we pay, the money that is printed, just instead of going towards productive work instead is necessary just to perpetuate the system. You know, you talked about sort of like in the past, it was like the, the, a lot of this, this, these funds and taxes went into sort of like creating like, you know, highways and national parks and things like that. And now, you know, this money has to get printed in order to just maintain pension funds, maintain social security. And I actually think that that is kind of what's going on here when it, it, it's... I think there's a, it's very similar to what's happened in the Ethereum space. It's like there's so much effort. You, you asked the question, like, why has there been so much? Or people were surprised that there was so much money and research and time spent on trying to justify a proof-of-stake system. And I think it's for the same reason. I think those people are already so heavily invested in the system, they are like, well, this may not make sense. It's not actually a great idea, but we just have to pump all these resources, time, energy, work you know, PR into just continuing Ethereum as an idea and proof of stake as an idea, just because otherwise the alternative is they have to acknowledge that this is a failed enterprise.
1: Yes, I think it's just another part of the whole product differentiation contrast point, actually, which is to say that... It's part of the Ethereum, whatever you want to call it, culture that they will just raise lots of money and fund lots of weird like a laboratory experiment type things. Like there was a a long time ago they would do they were doing like ghosts, which was like Uncle Blocks. I, they may still do this. I don't even you know, like I don't even know like, what's in the in the final version now they switched to proof of stake, but they, they would do all they do almost every bizarre idea that was had in the whole period of like twenty the whole like 2013 to like 2016 period, there were all these weird ideas about should people do that, should there be constant inflation, should there be what should happen with fees? And they did they just threw everything in. They really threw everything in, in the 20 back when I knew much, much more about it. There was like the 2015, 2016 period, they were just throwing everything in and they were having they had ghosts, that's why they called it Casper because it was like a pun. They had all this stuff they're just mixing things together. And they did all this stuff and that's part of what it is, is not so much even a proof of stake specific thing. It's just the Ethereum MO is just to have this giant expanding tree of complexity and just to have more, because Ethereum is also kind of a developer focused thing, not to be, not to saying that it's better for developers, but it's just in terms of the quantity of, or the proportion of people is developer centric. So what I mean by that is there's a special appeal. Ethereum is like like Bitcoin has a kind of mixture of things. It has like a property rights Texas type of a thing. It has like a drug user Miami thing. It has like a tech California cryptography thing. It has like the cyberpunk thing. It has like a libertarian thing. It has a, a little bit of a finance thing, which the with the chance on the brink of second bailout for banks is the economics thing. Whereas Ethereum is more of like a kind of like crazy computer thing, if that makes any sense. Like it's more of like a, let's look at my weird algorithm. That's like kind of more of like the brand. And that's why I latch onto that when you say, well, they fund all this stuff. They just fund all this weird stuff like that. Whereas the Bitcoin thing, you would also have, you have stuff mixed in, like you have like BitBlock boom mixed in where it's like not very much about code it's about yeah it's like, it's like the idea it's like ah oh, this crazy state cool
2: state. idea and i just want to try
1: it and yeah first project in new hampshire which had nothing to do with technology yeah. at all so stuff like that is what i'm trying to get at hard point to articulate though but like ethereum yeah it's all about and it's not about like elite no no it's yeah. either Ethereum is just like if a developer if you've got like a developer resume they want you so they try and grab they try and grab these people in with it. and then how one way of doing that is you just fund this whatever giant proof of stake. Uh, yeah, I mean,
2: art. I mean, we're, I feel like we're off on a tangent now, but I, I come from a, like my you know part of my background is the software engineering world, and I, it, I wouldn't care if. The ethereum narratives were more truthful and accurate or i should say i would care a lot less if it was like hey this is a just insane experiment like it probably won't work in fact it hasn't again and again and again and again but we're here we're just having fun and obviously like we don't compete on the same axes that that bitcoin does like we're just here fucking around and like maybe you put your money into it maybe you're a vc and you invest in this space and like. You should expect the same types of potential returns you do in any other random startups you invest in. It's like one out of every 100 startups is going to be, you know, a win and the rest are going to be total garbage and bullshit. But it's never presented that way. Ethereum is always presented as like fait accompli. Like it is, you know, to your point, like it's happening. Like they've been saying that they're going to shift to proof of stake for, you know, what, five, seven years now? Like it's about to happen. It's right around the corner. Like let's fucking go. Get ready. And then they just kind of crib narratives from Bitcoin, you know, and when the, as the, the Bitcoin narrative of being sound money has become even more and more relevant, suddenly it's like, now nah, we're ultra sound money, you know? And there's no acknowledgement that like previously it was like the world computer narrative turned out to be bullshit and CryptoKitties broke everything. It's just like sort of what's next, what's next. It all just feels very, to me, it's like Ethereum is based in the, the, the fiat, like VC ecosystem that that exists, whereas Bitcoin is truly attempting to, to create a new and to st- and to stand apart from that, and I it just it irks me so much that they intentionally try to conflate coin with everything else, including Ethereum and Proof of Stake.
0: But I think there's a no, Paul. Please go ahead.
1: i was just going to say that I think that uh, there's a lot of truth to that. I think as the question is as Bitcoiners, like why do we like what I. It's hard to bottom line everything, but it's like, what should Bitcoiners worry about with with Ethereum? Like some people say, we shouldn't worry at all because it's such a it's so badly run, and uh, there's a lot of truth to that. Or just that it's so different and that it emphasizes such different things that it will eventually collide with like the Venmo path, like the centralized path. And once, there's the issue with the centralization is not so much that centralization is morally bad or whatever, but it's just that you'll eventually you'll eventually have to compete with like Venmo. Visa or central banks and like a SQL database, and you can't do that and you will get crushed. So the, the problem with the centralization route is that it's a losing route, it's a dead end. You can go for a while, but you will actually, you'll, you'll, you'll be completely screwed. And you'll certainly be regulated to the point where it's impossible to do anything subversive to the extent that it attempts to be kind of something novel. So that was the, de- the whole point of Bitcoin is the novelty is, is the, the decentralization. So I was just going to try to agree with that, that Ethereum does do a lot. I remember in September 2015, they said it was three months away. And I remember that happening. I remember joking about it at Scaling One. So they were saying, if, so it, is, it was seven years ago that they were just doing this. And they also, I remember them doing weird other startup-like things. Like they had, their Ethereum was paying people. They said, we'll pay you back later when the... Project launches will give you tokens. They have like kind of like off balance sheet data, or They had like weird, very startup-like things. But that being said, uh, you know, they were, th- there were a lot of competitors in that time that did uh, way worse. Uh, I have another metaphor, which is that it's like a two-party system where Ethereum, uh, Ethereum is like the challenging party. Bitcoin is like the leading party. And then you have the third parties, which are everything else that no one really cares about at all. Because the only thing that can really challenge the dominant party, like the only thing that could seriously challenge the Democratic Party in the United States right now would be the Republican Party. Like, it's just not it's not feasible to challenge them with something else, you know, to catch a thief. You need, like, another thief or something. So I think that's why it goes down to two. And it, that's why people actually care about Bitcoin and Ethereum. One well, I mean, of the other things, remember Bit, BitShares, NXT or whatever, that all that stuff went away and never came back. Aurora coin, all these things, hundreds of them. And so Ethereum made it as a kind of a competitor, partly by being different. But yeah, you were going to say something. Well, uh, I
0: was just going to sort of present this question of, like we live, our current fiat system is proof of stake. And so it, it feels like almost more palatable for VCs, like you mentioned, P, or just regulators in general to more readily accept something that they... I think can wrap their minds around versus an entirely new way of thinking and having a relationship with money. I don't know how much you necessarily buy that, given our entire conversation has just been proof of stake is just like really bad proof of work. You're just moving the work somewhere else.
1: Well, as I said, I think what it really is is that the 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 novelty of Bitcoin is the decentralization. I think that is so different that. That's actually what's difficult for people to understand. It's very easy for especially VCs to understand something where they say like, okay, give me 20% of this dollars or whatever. And it'll be like Solana. You go to A16Z and it'll give you whatever, 20%, 40% of this project, 20% of the whole project. We'll give give us that. It will give you a huge amount of money and then it will pump, but it can never make it to hyper big hyper salonization, you know, whereas $15 million per 21 million. Solana or whatever and everyone in the world is using it because what you were saying before you were saying like Bitcoin represents more of like a conception of the public good Bitcoin is like the world will be better switching from centralized finance to Bitcoin whereas the the, the startup model is too private I think believe it or not because it's like one person owns 20% it's too easy to just start a different project where you own or you own 22%, or some other number, or something like that. So, the interest that's what they call an interest based coalition where everyone's held together by their own self interest. But that's very different, difficult because in game theory, there's this thing called divide a dollar game where you can always, people can always undercut each other and stab each other in the back. Just three people are trying to split a dollar, but it's, it's unstable. And that's very true in the real world. You can't have. You need to have a conception of the an idea about what is better for everyone. That's what I mean when I say a conception of the public good. And it's too difficult when someone owns twenty percent for that to land. Like that's why I knew XRP would never make it. But they, of course, they're going to. They in the meantime, they make enormous amount. They made enormous amounts of money for themselves. Good for them. But you have to really be able to make it. You have to have a story where it can get to fifteen million dollars per coin. And with Bitcoin, that involves lots of things like the whole darknet market what we used to be called system D that used to be $10 trillion a year when I back in the US GDP was like $15 trillion a year. When I looked that up, it was like a long time ago, but used to be called system D. You had these badly run countries like Nigeria, no offense to the <laughs> badly run monetary policy and everything, banking, bad infrastructure. So people would switch. They'd say, I don't care that I'm late to Bitcoin. I need to switch to something that's gonna something that'll protect the future. And protect my future as an economic, uh, as a worker and a saver and things. And to just slowly take over the world because, uh, but it's just too difficult if you have, uh, if people are too greedy and they take uh, too much. And that is the startup model, though. But see, what if you went to A16Z and you tried, I mean, it's just easier for them to understand something where they say, okay, we'll give you $100 million. We'll take 40% of the Whatever it is, Solana, I'm just making this up. I don't actually know the number. but It's something like that. And they say, we'll do that. And then it'll, in return, you can pump the thing from being worth whatever that was, $500 million for $100 million for 20%, $500 million. You can pump that up to like $6 billion in 12 months. Who cares that the, price, the cost of the full node during that 12 months is going to go from like very low to like much higher than anyone can afford and then continue to just go up who cares about that, right? Who cares about That's the decentralization. You say, who cares about that? Well, we're just going to flip $100 million into like $800 million. Mm-hmm. And so that's very, very, very easy for them to understand. And uh, of course, that's you can see why people would do that. You know, no offense to them. That's, I mean, good for them, but that's not, that is not the moral glue that binds the Bitcoin project together Where people actually feel like there's something, there's a problem in the world with the way the world works. And they say, I don't want the world to work like this anymore.
0: I have a question where, so the thing for me that really clicked when I started to learn about Bitcoin was the absolute digital scarcity component. That was the first part of Bitcoin for me that made sense. I am not technical whatsoever. I come from like a more financial background. I'm always a little, no, let me rephrase. I'm a lot confused when that key component of Bitcoin and its value proposition are not discussed when you have other proof of work projects like Doge with an unlimited supply, or something like Ethereum that has to come up with different ways to try and cap its supply, but they never really have. Like, does absolute digital scarcity really have as much importance as Younger Q thought it did, or was Younger Q a little too naive?
1: Well, who can say? I mean, I thought, I wrote about this on my blog, I thought like it would be important to keep the inflation taxes very low because it's open source. So it'd be so competitive. Mm -hmm. And it would, like I was saying, you would be undercut if you tried to give too much to yourself. And interestingly, Satoshi gave a lot of coins to himself that he never moved and never spent. And so it's kind of like abandoned property. So it was a very selfless thing. It's well known that he really didn't give any coins to himself, but even though he could have. But I think... The problem with doing that is, like I said, it invites people to leave and go with someone else who can just say, I give myself a giant pile only a little less or a little more or whatever, you know, based on some other thing. So I wanted to also, before I answer a question, I wanted to say Ethereum, I think is actually on sort of more on the right track with that particular thing, the ultrasound money, which is to say, because they... Are trying to not only make the supply cap, but they're trying to make the supply shrink. I think they won't succeed for an unrelated reason about fee elasticity, but but what they're trying to say is if we pay a lot in fees, instead of having you know 21 million ETH, obviously they don't have 21 million ETH, but I'm just saying. Apple established comparison. Instead of having that, they'll have an amount that declines from 21 million over time to 20 million. So they'll keep the inflation taxes even lower, so to speak, and they'll be even more competitive on that basis, which is great and good for them. So that's the thing that they do that's a good thing for them, I think. And it's they are that's an example of them competing on our terms as Bitcoiners. And I think people should not be so hasty to just make fun of it just because it happens to involve a phrase that we like. But that being said, I think it won't actually work because I don't think people will pay a lot enough in fees to actually make that happen because I don't think people will make pay a lot of fees in, in general, which is a completely different conversation that I wrote a completely different post about that people can read if they want, but it's very, very long. And so I don't think they'll actually succeed. It's much easier for Bitcoin to just be like very simply. And simplicity is very good. You know, it's good for the most users are of course not technical at all. Uh, in in a computer sense, nor in a finance sense or economic sense. So that's very difficult to get through to most people. You just tell them 21 million, you know, it's very easy. And I think that's a good thing. And I think, again, we need to build, it's very political. You need to build a coalition of people. Everyone needs to decide, I'm going to leave at first a little bit, the fiat world, and I'm going to go into the Bitcoin world uh, more and more. And uh, we need people to decide, to do that if we're going to do that then we need to give them lots of reasons to do that and uh, we and they, they they'll, they'll never buy a reason that they don't understand so i think that the 21 million is is very was well, very helpful and you know is part of the magic secret sauce so to speak it's kind of annoying to me that now people talk people in the bitcoin technical community such as, you know, Peter Todd is famously, he loves being contrarian, so he won't mind it all being thrown under the bus, I think. I mean, but hes In fact, he's going to love it. But, you know, he keeps reopening this door, tearing open this wound, this freshly healed wound about uh, maybe we should add you know, inflation to Bitcoin or whatever. And this is sometimes now treated as though it's a very sophisticated and edgy thing to talk about. And I, I think that's kind of untrue. I think no one in the Bitcoin community will will go for that. Even like, if it meant the death of the project, most people would probably want to try something completely different. Uh, At this point, it's just so part of the, so part of the heart of Bitcoin.
0: Wait, so what is? Forgive the ignorance of this, but like, what is the argument to introduce inflation to Bitcoin? Like, isn't that the whole point of Bitcoin was to get rid of inflation?
1: Well, you know, I think. uh, the point of bitcoin was quite a few things at once one thing is that it didn't something decentralized where that was just a protocol that respects the rights of the user so even if it had inflation you would still have a situation where your money was controlled by keys and people couldn't freeze it or steal from you or something it couldn't steal from you in particular with the inflation they'd be stealing from everyone but they but you would still be you have your kind of sovereignty and privacy the reason involves the idea that once all the coins are mined, we have to pay the miners with something else, which will be fees. And the total amount, the total purchasing power, the total amount of economic effort behind all the fees will equal the total amount of revenue given to miners. And that will equal how much money they spend on hashing, exactly by what we were talking about before the whole proof of work equality theorem. So that $10 billion a year will go down to a very small number. And then there'll be only a few miners mining a little. And then the difficulty will be low. It'll be very cheap. It'll cost that amount to 51% attack Bitcoin. So anyone who wants to spitefully destroy Bitcoin who's willing to pay that amount every year or every month. They can just keep the network off, basically. And that is why people don't want that to happen. They want the security budget, so to speak, that $10 billion a year. They want that to always be very high. And so they say, well, we can add One way is to add inflation. I don't think that will ever happen, but that is a way.
0: Paul, I know we're coming up close to the end of our time. I want to give you the opportunity, because P was so, so excited to specifically talk to you about drive chains. I know obviously we don't have a ton of time on that before, like the less technically savvy people. How would you First, just recommend an introduction to it, and where should we go to like really start to understand what this concept is?
1: Yeah, I thought it wasn't that complicated when I first proposed it. I the subtitle was the simple two way peg, but apparently I was dead never been more wrong about anything in my entire life because apparently this people find this to be very mystifying and almost a lot of people think it's too good to be true or some other weird thing. So I have a website driveshame.info, and on that I have a YouTube playlist. And the first video on the playlist is only, it's like, I think it's like 18 minutes of me talking and then some questions, some Q&A. And that's not so bad, I think, uh, but but the, the drive chain idea is is it says that you have you have Bitcoin blocks and then you have blocks of something else called the side chain where it's a completely different piece of software, it might as well be an altcoin. But there's no coin there. So in the side chain world, you send Bitcoin over to that piece of software then you do whatever you want over there, and then you send the coins back. And the, the issue is how does that happen? And I have a way where all the, si- the blocks of this, the side chains, these alternate chains, these different pieces of software, and it's completely different computer networks, which could be like Ethereum or like Solana as far as anyone knows or cares. that those other blocks are optional for layer one. So you can ignore them completely. They're fully ignorable. And uh, nonetheless, I, I think I, I tried to set everything up so that it's really, really, really high degree of guarantee that if you send money over on the side chain and you give the money to someone else and A gives it to B, who gives it to C, and then C tries to withdraw it on layer one, back to Bitcoin, I tried to make it so that there's a really, really, really strong guarantee that C actually will get their money, even though the whole thing is ignorable. And uh, I don't know what it's going to take to get people to understand how it works or why. But I I do have videos with slides and visual aids and things on drivechain.info and have an FAQ and I have the YouTube playlist is very long and it includes various interviews with different people. And I have the BIPs, there's two BIPs, BIP 300 and BIP 301. If you want the exact details of exactly what the code is doing. And we also have software. So I have like a, a test net fork of Bitcoin that you can download and run. And you can see all the side chains be activated in real time. And we have a Zcash sidechain. So you can send coins over there and get a Z address and send Bitcoin to it, send Bitcoin out of it, and then and then send them back to the layer one chain. And you can see you can see how it all works for yourself with the software. So we have BIPs, we have software, we have presentations, we have FAQs, I have memes up there. So that's, so that's the idea Then I also published that idea in 2015, but unlike the Nothing is Cheaper Than proof of Work, which quickly became super mainstream, this idea has meandered its way in big circles around the mainstream, but is now finally, people are finally starting to come around on it and to finally appreciate it for how cool it is part of the issue was historical. So because partly I wrote it to solve the block size war, but instead people decided we can just fight the war and win, which they did. And then after they won, they were like, you know, small blocks won, conservative Bitcoin, uh, ossified Bitcoin won. And so that everything uh, sharply resists all the changes. So I have various speculations on, on why dry chain took a very long time for people to open their minds to. But those are some of my guesses as to why. But if you go to drivechain.info, you should be able to find more information than you whatever ever want. And there is a link to a Telegram group, DC Insiders, t.me/slash DC Insiders, and you can go there and ask also any questions that you have.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Paul. I, I really enjoyed this conversation, and I really, like I said, I really appreciate the analogies. And I'll say one more time, it is a. I, I can't think of any other articles like this one that that have stood the test of time so well. I mean, part of that obviously is given the situation we're in right now, but it's very well written. I highly recommend that everybody who's listening today go and check it out. It's nothing's cheaper than proof of work by of course Paul Stork.
1: And I think measuring decentralization also held up and it's, yes, it's yes. something that people should try to figure out. And that one also as a very simple message of just it's the cost of running a new full node. That is, the, that is how, when that's low, you're decentralized. And when that's high, you are centralized. And that is that is also part of the key to understanding why DriveChain doesn't harm anything because it, your layer one node is still very cheap to run and all the sidechain blocks are normal. So that's also a key to understanding sidechains as well as to merge mining and plenty of other very advanced things that even plenty of other big experts, I think don't totally understand, at least not the way that they don't see it the way i do so uh, those are very those are big ideas i think uh, all from 2015 a good year for <laughs> log, i guess i don't know all
2: right well thank you again so much and uh, we'll talk to you soon great we've got we've got ansel and uh, fedwatch coming up next before we hop off just to remind everyone We have Bitcoin Amsterdam happening in only seven days. Get ready. If you do not already have a ticket, you can purchase one using code BMLIVE for 10% off. You can also use code BMLIVE to grab the magazine, which Q is about to throw on cam. It's fantastic. The best one yet. The one that will be coming in soon. The Orange Party issue is as amazing, if not better. Get them while you still can, my friends. We'll see you tomorrow, same time, same place.
0: Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. Bitcoin Magazine and the team that brought you the world's largest Bitcoin conference is bringing the mission of hyperbitcoinization global with the inaugural European gathering this fall. Bitcoin Amsterdam takes place October 12th through 14th at the beautiful Westergas venue in the heart of the city. Join thousands of bitcoiners for three days of curated Bitcoin content that is relevant to the emerging Bitcoin scene in Europe and the global movement. Confirmed speakers include Dr. Adam Back, Alex Gladstein, Greg Foss, Ray Youssef, and many, many more. This will be an immersive conference which includes hands-on engagements at our Proof of Workshop stage, as well as exclusive content for VIP Whales in the Deep. Bitcoin Amsterdam's exclamation point will be a massive Bitcoin party and music festival that you won't want to miss. The European installment of Sound Money Fest takes place on Day 3 of the event, October 14th, and admission is included with GA and whale passes. Check out all the details at b.tc forward slash conference and use promo code BMLIVE for 10% off. Ticket prices increase on August 21st, so grab your tickets today for €299 for a GA ticket and €3,499 for VIP whale passes. The censorship-resistant issue of the Bitcoin Magazine print edition is available now. Grab your copy at your local Barnes & Noble store or head on over to the Bitcoin Magazine store and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your order today.